The following is a production of 97.9 ESPN Radio, Tallahassee's Sports Authority. Lock into your radio dial for 97.9 ESPN Radio's official post-game show, Wake Up Knowles. It's time to recap all the action of another Seminole game day with your Seminole insiders, Tom Block and Keith Jones. Wake Up Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, serving the Big Bend area since 1995. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello, Knowles. Another victory to celebrate and to dissect. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you as Florida State has gone to 2-0 on this young season, 52-8 the final over Charleston Southern. This was a foregone conclusion, Keith. We knew Florida State was going to win the football game, didn't know what the score was. Uh, Bottom line, it was a busy week, a short week, because you played Monday, and uh, the best you could be at this point is 2-0, and that's where Florida State sits. The things that you worried about or were concerned about that you saw in the Ole Miss game, uh, those appeared to get cleaned up. Now, obviously, you were not going against an up-tempo team, though they did run that uh, wishbone, veer, uh, triple option type look. They did not go hurry up. But the things that you worried about defensively, did, could you get lined up in time? Could you get back to the play? Uh, those weren't there, except the uh, maybe first drive. When you had back-to-back uh, procedural penalties, you didn't have a lot of pre-snap stuff. Florida State will only penalize six times in the ball game, so clean up from those things that were of concern against Ole Miss. Uh, the the breakdowns defensively, we'll talk about that a little later. But the breakdown defensively still of concern, and and there's there's still the need to find a way. We talked about you know Dalvin getting the ball too much. Well, now he's not getting it quite enough. Now, I realize they pulled some starters and that type of thing, and he didn't play the entire ball game. But uh, there's a mix in there that Jimbo's got to uh, get a feel for relative to play calling uh, to utilize his talents. But overall, as you said, uh, the best thing that could come out of this is that you're 2-0, and uh, and that's exactly what Florida State did. 52-8 the final. Here's what we're going to do over the next hour. We'll spend next segment talking about the offense, and we'll get into that Dalvin Cook. How do you utilize him? What's the best answer to, for that question? Uh, that'll be next segment. Then we'll talk defense. And then I suspect when we get to our final segment, Keith, we'll probably start looking ahead to a pretty important game against Louisville, one so important that College Game Day is going to be there next week. Kind of uh, as they shaped out that way, particularly with the performance that Louisville had against Syracuse, uh, I teasingly told people uh, during the game today that I asked me about it, did you see the game? Did you see the game? Well, yeah, I watched most of the of the Louisville-Syracuse game. I didn't watch all 845 yards of it, but I saw enough to know that Florida State will have a, a tall task on their hands next week. I want to go back. You mentioned the, the penalties early on and only six for the game overall. Uh, Jimbo said after the game that uh, the first drive there were three penalties, uh, though one of them was called on Rod Johnson. He said both those were really on Eberly. He was a, he was a little bit late on, a, on one snap and then he moved the ball on another. So uh, Eberly's got to get that cleaned up, but they were both there. And then Jimbo said uh, you know, he wanted to see the tape on the Nyquan Murray hold, but he said at least he's being aggressive and I can live with it. I thought it was clean, but he hasn't seen the tape yet when he's making that comment. But uh, that aside from those three penalties, a 28-zip start in the first quarter, uh, certainly night and day from what you had against Ole Miss when they were down 28-6 at one point. You know, it's amazing how, how games take on their own personality. As you mentioned when we first came up, you knew you were going to win this game. I mean, you know, it would have to be an absolute fluke for Florida State to 
to be defeated by Charleston Southern. But what you worry about are style points and how do you look doing it. And again, repeating myself a little bit, uh, you, didn't, you didn't look good the first 27, 28 minutes of the old Miss game. Uh, first quarter of this game, you came out, aside from that first series, you looked like a Florida State team that was going to win 50-something to something. And, and that's uh, very uh, heartening, I think, particularly as you get ready to face the Cardinals. Well, and particularly when you look at the landscape of college football on a day where Oklahoma State loses to Central Michigan, uh, Clemson labors to get past Troy, Georgia barely beats Nichols. People, for the most part nationally, were not tuned into FSU Charleston Southern. They'll look at the score and say FSU did what they were supposed to do. And that probably is the best thing you can say because that's all people will do. If they look at the score, they see it, they're not going to pay any attention to anything else. If the score had been different or closer, then they may go back and start looking at tape or looking at reruns or those types of things. And those people I'm talking about are the folks that vote on the polls, maybe even the playoff selection committee, uh, and and probably don't want to draw attention to yourself uh, in a game like this. You want that score to be the only thing they reflect on. The win was uh, number 70 in the head coaching career of Jimbo Fisher, 52-8 to the final score. Uh, Jimbo obviously meets the media after each and every game. And let's take a, a, a little listen to just some brief uh, remarks that Jimbo made, and this is courtesy of Seminoles.com. I was very proud of the way we started the game. I think the things we did, we, we were efficient early in the game. Still not as clean as I wanted to be, but uh, made the plays in the end. Got the good start, got out. And I think this is a little lethargic here, kind of on offense. We didn't get the ball back because he had the punt return and we didn't have possession. And then we, because we had six times the first half, and I think we scored four, four touchdowns, and we had to punt. But uh, I thought DeAndre played a very solid game. I thought Travis Rudolph really played well. Receivers blocked well downfield. Bobo was, thought was well. Dalvin got, it was good to see him get back. He wasn't in the groove. And then we start getting some runs, and you start to see the old Dalvin coming back and really got some nice runs that way. Uh, tight ends caught the ball well. Again, Ricky Aguayo kicked the ball pretty good. Uh, most of the time, you know, just a field goal. Then had the one field goal. That was nice to hit a 46-yarder like that. Um, thought we put, kicked off well. Covered well. Defense created turnovers early in the game. Played good leverage for the most part on the day. Uh, and what we had going on, some of the, got some of the twos and some of those yet threes in the game, and we, you know, there's some learning curve there. But we've got to uh, get those guys. We won't need their depth as the season goes on, and and uh, keep them developing. And uh, you know, we got a lot of work to do. I mean, we, we won a game and you know did what we were supposed to do, but there's still a lot of work to be done in, in, in all three phases of the football game. And we just got to go work in progress and got to have a good practice. And you know, coming off five days though, I mean, uh, we were. That, I'm gonna tell you what, that took it out. That game the other night, that was one of the highest energy games that we had played. I mean. Since we've been here, believe that or not, some of the games we've been in, it, it took a lot out of us and getting back late and the five-day turnaround. So very proud of our guys doing that. We did what we're supposed to do. Now we got to get better and go play Louisville. It's a heck of a football team. So Jimbo Fisher, uh, about what you'd expect, uh, I, I guess, Keith, he knows there's a lot to clean up, but that's not a bad thing necessarily. This will be a much better week. We'll talk about this later, but the game's over mid-afternoon to late afternoon on Saturday. His team gets a chance to rest. They get Sunday. You get into a regular work week where you can actually have time to try and clean some of these things up. You know, one of the best things about this 12:30 kick that, that fans probably don't pay a lot of attention to is that, and this, there's no other way to say this but, but up front, is the kids get to go out tonight. Uh, I always love playing day games uh, because once the game was over, uh, then you get to go, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether your folks are in town, whether you're going with friends, it's a Saturday night 
to go out and be a student and not an athlete. And, and uh, that, there was just something always very refreshing and cleansing about that, that night without having to worry about getting up the next morning and going to class or going to meetings. And, uh, and so that's a, a little bit of a mental health break that the kids will get. I think, it's I think that's holds- exactly what it is, a mental health break. And Jimbo cautioned to make the right decisions and, and that sort of thing. But uh, really what you're saying is if it's an 8 o'clock p.m. kick, uh, it's not free time for them because by the time the game ends, it's bedtime. But if you're done at 4 in the afternoon, they get extra free time built into their week that they don't normally have with their with their rigorous schedule. Let's let's go back big picture uh, about this game. Special teams looked really good again for two straight games. I mean, you get a punt return for a touchdown. You get a long field goal. Again, there were some kind caroms on the punts, but you can't argue with what you're seeing out of a freshman punter. And the kickoffs were good. Let's talk first about the, the punt return. Uh, you and I had talked over the summer. Uh, we talked a little bit during fall camp that that maybe there needed to be a change in the punt return approach and more specifically the punt return personnel. Well, I think that got settled today. Uh, we knew that the potential was there. It just hadn't happened. Well, this, this, this particular game had happened and it happened in nice fashion uh, to the point that it was a spectacular return. I mean, it'll, it'll make uh, you know, some network highlight uh, films. Uh, you don't, you just, you know, third longest punt return for a touchdown in the history of Florida State and was done as a team. It wasn't like uh, he broke 17 tackles. Uh, he barely got touched and that's how good uh, it was set up and how good the wall was. And then the way that uh, it, it ended there at the end with kids blocking, you know, 60 and 70 yards down the field. I mean, it was a complete team effort. Uh, Bubble will get all the credit, uh, but all 11 of them out there get uh, get uh, a big smiley face uh, in what they were able to do. I was impressed that he stayed in bounds, no question. And good to see, you know, he's a senior. He's doing what he should do. He's coming off a career high against Ole Miss and catches and receiving yards, and then he goes out and gets his first punt return touchdown. So good for Bobo, who's playing like a senior should. Meanwhile, you have a freshman who, by all accounts, and we're not at practice every day, was, I don't want to say erratic, but certainly wasn't as consistent at practice kicking field goals is what he's been seven for seven to start his career, and I'm talking about Aguayo. You know, one of the things that has come out of that, Tom, that I don't have an answer for is that we we were led to believe that there was inconsistency. Uh, obviously, the media isn't present during most of the kicking drills because they don't do those in the first 20 minutes. Uh, sometimes they do, but most of the time not. And, and I've talked to some people that said, you know, the way those goalposts are on the practice facility, they're not very tall. So, you know, if he's kicking the ball over them, maybe it was inside it, maybe it wasn't. No, nobody's really keeping track. Nobody's really watching. There's no tape to go back and reference. Lasers. Jimbo wants lasers. Yeah. And so, so, you know, what they consider a miss may not necessarily have been a miss. It just wasn't straight down the middle, uh, which is the, is the gold or, or the gold standard, as it were. Um, the, the field goal he had today was right down Main Roger, Street. yeah. It was. <laughs> and then uh, Logan Tyler, uh, you know, the fans love this. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But on three different kickoffs today, Logan Tyler sent it through the upright. And everybody's going, well, you ought to get points for that. You ought to be able to score for that. Well, you don't. You're not ever going to. But it makes for a neat conversation. Certainly does. It was a uh, all in all a good day for Florida State. 52-8 the final. We'll come back and talk about the offense as we are just getting started. Knowles win. They're 2-0. Wake Up Knowles returns next on 97.9 ESPN Radio. 
Wake Up Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, serving the Big Bend area since 1995. Now, more from Tom Block and Keith Jones. Welcome back, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. Don't forget that uh, we do this each and every Wednesday. The front row comes your way 6 to 7. We invite you to uh, join us, subscribe to that uh, via iTunes. Sundays, uh, Wake Up Knowles comes your way at uh, 9 a.m. Primetime Knowles at 7 p.m. We've got you covered when it comes to Florida State football. All right, let's talk about uh, FSU's offense. Certainly a much crisper start. Granted, the opponent was different. It was uh, a home game. Uh, It was your second game, so it should have been a crisper start. But one thing that looked pretty consistent to me was the play of the quarterback, DeAndre Francois. Continued what he had done in the second half of the Ole Miss game. Finished the game uh, 25 of 32. That's a very, very good percentage. Uh, And a couple of the balls that uh, were miscues, uh, he kind of threw away. uh, and, And Probably, if you were, uh, when I'm football king, I'll, I'll not even make those uh, attempts. Uh, it'll be like a free throw or something. Right. Uh, 25 out of 32, he had the three touchdowns, did throw the one pick. Uh, Florida State suffered their first turnover, offensive turnover in the game. He just looked comfortable. He, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing that has jumped out at me, Tom, uh, about both games. Uh, he hasn't looked like he's pressing, doesn't look like he's excited or excitable, uh, doesn't get frustrated. I mean, it's, it's it just speaks to his demeanor and that workmanlike attitude that we told were told that that he possessed. Well, so far through two games, he's exhibited it. You look at the numbers, and Jimbo will be pleased with this: eight of eleven on third down conversions, three of three in the red zone, and and most importantly, three of three with touchdowns in the red zone. So that is good stuff. Uh, your thoughts in general? You know, when you when you look at the final tally, Florida State had thirty five pass attempts in the game and thirty six rush attempts. So you would say that's balance. Uh, the reality is they they took them out of the game with the pass early on. Do you think that's uh, it's been a short week? Let's not let let's stay away from having to be as physical. Uh, as we need to be, and let's just try and let, let, let's beat Charleston Southern quickly, and then and then move on. No, not necessarily. I, I think when it comes to Florida State's mix, it it all boils down to how Jimbo feels the game is going. He, I don't think he has any premeditation about what he wants to try to do. He's going to wait and see what the defense is doing. And then take what it gives And then him. take what, what, what is given there. So I think that's more coincidence than anything. I, I thought it interesting, too, that Florida State ran about 20 less plays this game than they did against Ole Miss. Uh, I think 93 was the play count uh, against uh, the Rebels, and it was in the 70s in this particular ball game. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have thought that that discrepancy wouldn't be that big. It just didn't feel like it. But that just goes to show how effective and efficient that offense was in the second half against Ole Miss, back to more of a Jimbo way because he's not much up-tempo. They go no huddle, but it's not up-tempo. You know, 70, 75 offensive plays is about where he wants to be. Well, and Ole Miss and its tempo and, and that time of possession Monday really skewed that. The other thing is Florida State, if you will, lost an offensive possession by virtue of the punt return. So that was, you know, a few plays that they didn't have there. But, yeah, I think you're right. This is where Jimbo, this is the way he coaches a game. Now, they did go uh, no huddle. Uh, which your thoughts on that? Well, the, the Jimbo likes going no huddle. I mean, that, that's his base offense. It's just not hurry up. Right. Uh, he can go hurry up, and Florida State's offense can turn that into up tempo if they need to. But that's just the way that they do it. Uh, and I think I think it fit right into what they were looking at. The the other number thing that, uh, if you will, that jumped out at me that I thought it was positive is, is ten different guys caught a pass. 
Uh, they really spread the ball around. And I know a lot of that had to do with the second and third teamers being in there, uh, you know, in the last quarter, quarter and a half. But still, when you can get the ball through the air to 10 different people, you know, that, first of all, that makes those 10 people happy. If you're only throwing to four, six of them aren't quite thrilled with, with how the game plan went. But uh, secondly, it, it gives you reps and, and experience that if or when time comes when people get winded, there's injuries, uh, people get hurt, uh, you know, those backups have had an opportunity to actually participate, uh, and it's not new to them. Well, and you talk about different guys catching passes. Obviously, kudos to Travis Rudolph, who's now scored three touchdowns here early in the season, had seven catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, but the two guys I wanted to talk about here are Auden Tate and Nyquan Murray. First, Tate, because FSU fans have been clamoring for, uh, you know, when Greg Carr was here, we got tired of the jump ball. Now everybody wants the jump ball option at the goal line, and, and it does open open up your playbook if you're in the red zone, especially if you're, you know, five yards and in. But it was a beautiful throw and catch on that touchdown pass to him on it, the fade. It gives you, as you mentioned, it gives you another option, particularly now that you've done it. Louisville's got to pay attention to it. So you can oftentimes use that as a decoy to do some other things when you start game planning for a big game like going up against the Cardinals. It, it gives all the cards to Jimbo. He's got all the multiple cards to play. And you're exactly right. It was a great throw, a great catch. Uh, you, you couldn't draw it up any prettier. Uh, and it was good to see Alden have uh, the opportunity to make that. Murray, we've been told all along that he's got – He's got that shiftiness. We're not going to put him in a Peter Warwick category yet, but he's got the ability to make people miss. He's got the ability to, to see things, much like the vision that, that Dalvin Cook has when he's running the ball. And we got an opportunity to see a little bit of that. Uh, he didn't score, uh, and there wasn't a huge play, but he made a few people miss on a couple of receptions. It's good to see him get some opportunity. Well, and that's why, uh, and he got a chance as the punt returner late in the game, though, though he didn't get a chance to return it. But uh, that that shiftiness, uh, I'm looking forward to see because if he if you give him a little bit of space, it looks like he's going to make you pay for it. So uh, we've been telling you the other receivers are coming, and, and they are. And I know that uh, Lawrence Dossey, when I talked to him this week, uh, Devontae Phillips, another guy who had two catches. Uh, you know, he, he'll tell you Phillips might have the best hands on the team. Uh, they feel like Keith Gavin is coming. That uh, you know he lost his legs maybe a little bit during fall camp because they worked him so hard, but he's got him back now, and we didn't see him. But uh, bottom line, even with the news of George Campbell going down, uh, we're going to see more than just the main three receivers that we saw last year. Now, obviously, one of the keys to that is is keeping uh, uh, DeAndre upright and his uniform clean, and you had uh, reported pri right prior to kick, they did a little shifting on the offensive line and, you know, take the first series out that we've already talked about with the two procedure penalties and, and the hold. Um, how they set that up was a little different, and, and it, it appeared to, to work at least a little bit better. Hopefully, R will be back for the Louisville game. He's, he was held out to, to, today as well, uh, but uh, that shifting up front paved a little bit of dividends. Yeah, and what they did is they put... Uh... Uh, Landon Dickerson in for Wilson Bell at the at the right guard spot, and we'll have to see how he grades out. So Wilson Bell was not really a factor, but uh, uh, I, they like Dickerson a lot. There's no question about it. Uh, it would not surprise me if next week you had R back. Jimbo was optimistic earlier or late last week that he would have R back at practice Monday. R was not dressed out in the game on Saturday, but was there and seemed fine. Not that my 
what I observe means that he's medically he cleared. He wasn't limping and didn't have a cast on. Right, right. Well, and I think he's been battling concussion. I understand, uh, but, like, but that's my point. Right, right. So I think they'll have R back. So I would expect that you'll see Johnson and R and Eberly and probably Dickerson and Leonard going in this week. Now, that's just me. Coach Trickett's got to grade the tape along with Jimbo. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's what you saw. And I also, just the naked eye, playing a little bit of attention. You know, they talk about the greatest improvement from game one to game two. Um, I thought Leonard made some great improvement game one to game two at that right tackle position. Well, he did. Of course, he wasn't playing an all-SEC type defensive nope. end, which might explain some of that as well. But uh, I think just getting your feet wet and learning and figuring out where you went wrong, now you've got some tape to, to, to try and improve. All right, let's talk about Dalvin Cook for a couple of minutes here because we haven't done so yet. And, uh, you know, statistically, uh, his numbers are fine, but are not, his numbers are not Heisman. And I think part of what we're going to go through this year is we expect Alvin to put up 240 yards every game. And you and I all August have said we think he's going to go lower, not higher, because there's more balance here, because they don't want to exhaust him. I mean, if, if Dalvin gets 30 touches every game and 212 yards, that means the rest of the offense is not developing, in my opinion. It's an oversimplification, but you know, the, the equation falls down to these two points. Do you want Dalvin to win the Heisman Trophy? Or do you want to win a national championship? And I don't think you can win a national championship with Dalvin carrying the ball 30 times uh, in a ball game. I just I don't think that recipe works. There are plenty that disagree with me, but I've been doing this for a while, and I've been watching Jimbo for going on seven years now. As a, pardon me, as a head coach, and uh, ten years uh, in terms of being associated with Florida State. And his his modus operandi is not to have a receiver catch 20 passes in a game and a running back have 30 carries in a game. That's just not the way he's set up. So I think um, the more that Dalvin, uh, arguably they've got to get the ball to him more than 11 carries, but arguably also uh, you, you don't want to have it to be 30 carries. Uh, a better mix and a better uh, blend is probably more called for. Well, he, he had 11 carries for 83 yards, two touchdowns. One of them was a Heisman highlight type that we'll see all year long. Just one catch for nine yards. So 12 touches today, if you will. Uh, five days, uh, 12 touches on Saturday, five days after he had 30 touches because he had 23 carries and seven catches against Ole Miss. Uh, so that probably played into, and quite frankly, and we'll talk about this in our next segment, uh, Dalvin was sitting on 83 yards, I believe. I'd have to look at the play-by-play. When Derwin James got hurt on defense, and so the next time the offense got the ball, number nine was in there. Yeah, Dalvin was not back <laughs> on the football field. So that might—I mean, you could—if you went one more series with Dalvin, you would have gotten him 100 yards. Is the point I'm making? All right, we'll talk about it. Uh, hindsight is always 2020. We'll do a little bit of the uh, the Sunday morning quarterback for college football when we come back uh, right after this. Wake up, Knowles returns next on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Wake Up Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, serving the Big Bend area since 1995. Now, more from Tom Block and Keith Jones. Tom Block and Keith Jones back with you. A reminder, Wake Up Knowles every Sunday at 9 o'clock. Primetime Knowles at 7 o'clock. And we will uh, bring you uh, all we can uh, reaction, if you will, from the uh, most recent Florida State football game. In this case, it was yesterday against Charleston Southern. FSU wins 52-8. to We've talked offense. We heard from Jimbo, courtesy of Seminoles.com earlier. Let's talk defense. And, and quite frankly, Keith, before we get into the defensive performance, one of the topics out there is about Derwin James. And uh, as we're 
conversing right now. We don't know the extent of the injury, and it's it's very easy. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Jimbo said after the game, starters were supposed to play two series in the second half. James went down on the second play of the second series. And so again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I think it, it's a fine balance between you got to get your guys some reps, and then you get everybody out of there. Three three comments uh, to go ahead and play the uh, Sunday morning quarterback. Number one, on the replays that I saw, the way that James landed on that left leg was very awkward, and at at visual test, it didn't look good. Uh, his reaction to it, uh, he tried to walk on it, and, and his leg just kind of gave out on him, and he had to sit down. They came out and attended to him, took him into the tent, et cetera, et cetera. That's the negative part. Positive part is when they took him in on the cart, as you reported during the radio side of the ball game, uh, they had not stabilized the leg, and there was not a physician with him. They were just his game. His day was over. It basically was rather than make you limp to the locker room. We're just right going to take you we'll out take on the cart. cart. Yeah. The third thing, and and uh, this was reported to us. Uh, I didn't physically personally see it, but he left the locker room uh, on crutches with the knee wrapped. Uh, I will just tell you from a procedural standpoint, I could be wrong, but the way that normally works is if you're really concerned about something, uh, you leave with a physician headed to the hospital to do an MRI. You you don't get uh, wrapped up and given a set of crutches and say go home. Uh, so uh, a negative in terms of how it looked visually on the replay, some positives in how it appears that the Florida State medical staff, training staff, is addressing or treating the early going of it. Well, and this is, it truly is Sunday morning quarterback. It's just conjecture. We'll find out soon enough uh, one way or the other on Derwin. Uh, and, and whether or not, I mean, you can second guess all you want. It, the damage is done, literally. And I don't think – Jimbo is one, if you look at the way Jimbo coaches, uh, and we saw it the other night on Monday with DeAndre. Jimbo, you can't coach football being afraid that guys are going to get hurt. You can't now, coach scared. You cannot coach scared. You cannot play other than full speed. Right. You can't play trying to protect something. Uh, now, uh, you know, if we told you before the game that Derwin might get hurt on series number two, then maybe you would say, well, we won't play him in series number two. But we don't know that. So, uh, you know – so hopefully, whether it's this week for Louisville or at some point this season, hopefully we see Derwin back out there. Uh, if not, it's going to be critically important that Nate Andrews gets back out there this week. Uh, I saw Nate on the sideline yesterday. He was not dressed out. Uh, he's in good spirits. I mean, he's a good guy. Played a lot of football. Uh, there's going to be some rust to shake off, but what he brings is is – the veteran, they probably call him Grandpa. I don't know. Pops. He, he can get everybody lined up out there. Well, and, and if you are short of body, it would be nice to see Nate get back out and there. And that becomes important because Florida State gave up a touchdown uh, to uh, Charleston Southern on busted coverage. And even the play that Derwin was injured on, the, the receiver was wide open. Derwin had to really get across the field just to make a play to get him out of bounds. That tells me there's still some communication problems, certainly not to the extent there was uh, in Orlando, but Nate can help address that issue. No question. I, I would say, though, that – and they started in the second quarter. They did not have their first 11 out there consistently. So – one series had the second-string D tackles. The next series had the second-string linebackers. So you would expect there might be – it doesn't excuse it, but it was combinations that you're not normally going to be playing the way they were doing their rotation there uh, throughout much of the game. Uh, one guy who played a lot 
and certainly is a blazer, is Brian Burns. He wound up leading the team in tackles, had two sacks, forced a fumble, uh, and he looks like a string bean right now. Uh, that's not fair. He, he does look big, but I mean, he's probably 215, and I'm sure at some point they want him at 250. Well, I, and I would even go further and say he's at 215. He'll probably end up uh, maxing out about 260 or 270. I mean, that's how tall he is. Yeah. Uh, very long arms, very quick. Uh, we have been told, uh, I guess, the third week of camp, uh, you know, before before game week against Ole Miss, that you need to keep your eye on number 99. He's he's doing some good things. Now, he doesn't know everything to do. Uh, he doesn't have the playbook quite down, uh, as you wouldn't expect any true freshman to. But uh, he's certainly shown enough raw talent that, uh, pardon me, it has merited uh, some playing time. He was going to get playing time because it was uh, the Buccaneers anyway, but he took advantage of it uh, and uh, showcased that ability. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. 23 different players made tackles in the game uh, yesterday. Now, that counts special teams as well, but they, they played a lot of bodies. Uh, they played you know, twos and threes up front. And at the early on, they had the, the second string uh, defensive ends in and Sweat and Walker out. Matter of fact, there was a series that was funny. Uh, and maybe this was, I think it was late second quarter. Uh, it was third down, long, obvious passing situation. And Walker and Sweat both ran on the field for the dime rabbit package. And the next thing you know, Charles Kelly is waving them back off the field because he didn't want them in at that point. So, I mean, they, they got a lot of playing time for, for other guys. I thought, I thought some of the freshman linebackers, uh, not just Brian Burns, but uh, Emmett Rice, Dontavious Jackson, I thought they flashed a little bit too. Well, Coach Kelly had told you to keep your eye on the freshmen. It just wasn't uh, you know, there was no opportunity to get them in the ball game against Ole Miss because of the way the game was going. But uh, he gave you the heads up to pay attention to these young boys, these young pups, because uh, they've got a lot of potential. And and you're right, they got in there, got some playing time, got some stuff down on tape, which gives you another opportunity to grade and and to teach uh, in, in terms of uh, where to line up, how to line up, and, and how to execute. Uh, so that was very positive. Turnovers went Florida State's way again. No interceptions, but uh, three forced fumbles. And now let's be fair. Charleston Southern was playing a third-string and fourth-string quarterback that had not had a ton of reps, so it stands to reason in that offense that it might not be as crisp as you'd like, as you'd like and there would be some potential for ball-handling errors. That, well, uh, you know, there mistakes. was only one that you would accredit uh, to an uh, uh, exchange. Right. Uh, the other two, you know, the ball carrier had the ball, so whether he got it on a pitch or whether he had it handed to him or whether he caught it from the center, He's supposed to be securing it, so we'll give our defense he credit. He then got it unhanded from him. <laughs> we'll give the defense credit for two of the fumbles, and we'll call the system uh, the responsible party for the third one. Uh, but, yeah, there was an opportunity, and, and we've talked all along. What was it, 15 takeaways all of last year? And they've got seven right now. And they got seven through two ball games. Yeah, so you definitely will take that. There were no picks, uh, but this is a team that runs more than it throws. Uh, you know, Matthew Thomas, when, when you look at the stat sheet, nobody jumps out huge because the the way they, they split reps, nobody has double-digit tackles or anything like that. But I thought Matthew Thomas looked good again. He has continued to make the, the best of his opportunity. And candidly, as we've talked, it may be his last opportunity. This may be his his final uh, uh, soiree, as they say. It. And to his credit, he's taken full advantage of it and seems to be very, very focused and is performing very, very well. 
I talked to Derek Noddy on the uh, network postgame show, and Derek had uh, three tackles, had a sack, uh, and he's you know he's a quiet guy, but he he's a darn good player inside, and that that front four, and we didn't see the front four working uh, together a whole ton on Saturday. Well, you can't you can't because you can't get penetration against an option team. It's it's read and react. Right. You know they're not back there in the shotgun going to throw the ball. They're back there with two other backs. And I even got tickled at Gene. He kept calling it the wishbone, and I kept wanting him to say it's the wishbone out of the shotgun because normally the wishbone, the center, right. you know, the, the the quarterback is under center. This particular version of it, he's he's at the the, the shotgun position. Uh, so it's a very different type of offense. You can't see and you won't see uh, penetration by your defensive front because uh, that's exactly what they want you to do. They'd love for you to get upfield and they'll cut right behind you. Yeah, but Florida State, uh, all in all. Pretty good job defensively, certainly a better start. One thing Jimbo wasn't pleased with out of the gate is that FSU, uh, they lost the edge a couple times and, and allowed uh, Southern to turn the corner, and I know that was disappointing. And it was uh, – it, it, it looked like guys over-pursuing or being in position but not making the tackle more than it truly looked like losing the edge. There were there were specifically a couple of times where uh, the the CSU ball carrier was just elusive enough to make somebody miss. I mean, they were they were they weren't exactly where they needed to be to make the play, but they were close enough, and then didn't make the play because the ball carrier took advantage of them. So I, I would agree with you. I, I I know that's one of Jimbo's biggest peeves is about maintaining and holding that edge. That's just a, a constitutional mandate from the head coach to his defensive unit. I'm not sure it was as bad as maybe you feared or thought it might be. All told, uh, when you look at some other numbers, uh, Charleston Southern was just 2 of 12 on third down conversions, 0 of 1 on fourth down, didn't get into the red zone, uh, four sacks for Florida State's defense, uh, total yards was 294, they averaged five yards per play. So uh, that defense can do better than that, but had you left the first 11 out there the whole time, the numbers would have been better than that. Exactly right, and that's one of the downsides and disappointments of a game like you had in Orlando, uh, where you give up over 30 points, you give up a bunch of yardage, it makes it where your defensive statistics are not going to come in on a per-game basis uh, the way you want to. This is is how you want your statistics to look. Uh, You're going to have to really, really, really uh, have some um, outstanding efforts when you continue to play the likes of a Louisville or a Carolina uh, or a Clemson that's coming up. Uh, So statistically, Kelly you know, probably he's not going to make uh, the numbers that he would like, uh, and this defensive unit won't make the numbers that they would like. But that's not necessarily and totally representative of how well they played. Florida State gets the win, and uh, they win it 52 to eight. One other thing, and. Uh, it factors in to some degree. I mean, we had all the distractions in the last 36 hours before the game. Charleston Southern's playing their third-string quarterback. There might be 30 guys suspended. Uh, you know, the coaches had to coach a little bit harder than normal, perhaps, to, to get that clutter out of the players' minds. And you can believe that, uh, you know, they weren't going to tell the team about that, but the team knew that there were some guys out. To the, the, it's a direct proportional thing. It was Charleston Southern with guys out. I'm not going to be paying much attention. That's going to change immediately now that they start looking at Louisville. It's going to be the exact opposite. And we will start talking about Louisville when we come back. Stay with us. Wake Up Knowles returns next on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Wake Up Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, serving the Big Bend area since 1995. Now, more from Tom Block and Keith Jones. 
Here you go. The ACC grabs the spotlight for college football this week. College game day is headed to Louisville, Kentucky. First things first, Keith. 12 noon kick is doing Florida State a little bit of a favor here compared to 8 o'clock at Papa John Stadium. Well, let's let's borrow from the Block household history. Uh, your, your, your missus and her family from New Orleans, they are huge LSU fans. Uh, I've played at LSU twice, one in the daytime, one at night. Been to LSU uh, for games, mostly at night. Uh, same thing for Clemson. Papa John's not known as is is uh, Death Valley, uh, doesn't seat 75, 80,000 people, but the mentality is the same. Uh, the uh, adult beverage of choice might be a little different than either LSU or Clemson, uh, much more bourbon oriented in <laughs> Louisville. But the bottom line is, uh, and I'll coin, I'll borrow this phrase from uh, one of our colleagues: uh, the 12 noon kick keeps the Louisville crowd from being as lubricated as might have been the case when you play them at night. You and I have uh, broadcast games there from uh, from Papa John's at night, uh, particularly in the rain. We won't talk about that. Hopefully the weather will hold. But uh, it's just a, it's a hugely different atmosphere at noon than it would be at 7 or 8 o'clock. And I, it's a real long explanation to, to say, I agree with you, Florida State's getting the better end of the deal with this noon kickoff. Well, just look at Doak and the difference between a noon game compared to a night game that everybody pines for and that we'll get with FSU Clemson and some of the other games later on, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but college game day going to this tells you a couple things. Most notably, it, it tells you that the ACC is worth watching, which we've come a little bit on that front because it's not just FSU-Clemson. Now you've got uh, two really good teams in FSU and Louisville and a game that people want to watch. The uh, comparison always exists. Uh, everybody against the SEC uh, and those that, that, that believe in the SEC always look at the ACC and call it a basketball conference. Um, the Atlantic Coast Conference was 10-2 and two, uh, on opening weekend. Uh, the Southeastern Conference was 7-7. Seven and seven. Uh, so in the early going of 2016, uh, there's a little bit of an edge there numerically and some, some maybe some uh, eyes being redirected. And this Louisville-Florida State game, with game day being there, means that many more eyes are going to be directed. And what, what the Atlantic Coast Conference needs to happen is for this to be an entertaining ball game. Uh, now, what Florida State would love to do is to run roughshod and, and do to Louisville what they did to Clemson uh, during the uh, 2013 national championship season. Don't think that's going to happen. I'd uh, be absolutely pleased if it did, but I'm not anywhere near uh, suggesting that. Uh, the conference would love to have a good game. Florida State probably needs to stay in a close game because if you were to tell me, based on what I've seen between these two teams through two games, that it's going to be a blowout. If you told me the outcome was going to be, you know, 45 to 14, I would tell you Louisville's going to win the ball game. Uh, I would think that uh, for Florida State to be victorious against the Cardinals in their home stadium, it's going to be a tight ball game, and it'll be a 60-minute ball game, and it'll be a close ball game. It's early in the season, so it's hard to truly know because Louisville thus far has played Charlotte and Syracuse. And though Syracuse is in the ACC, they change coaches and they're not at the same level. So you can't get a good. Florida State has, is more tested by virtue of playing Ole Miss. Charleston Southern didn't tell us anything there. Uh, going back to the point about ACC, SEC, or any other conference, one area where the ACC deserves some attention and is getting it this year is quarterbacks. There are some darn good quarterbacks in the ACC, and two of them will be on display this Saturday. Uh, DeAndre Francois has 
you know, he was national freshman of the week or whatever he was in the ACC offensive back of the week against Ole Miss. Goes out 25 for 32 against Charleston Southern. That pales in comparison to what Lamar Jackson has done in terms of highlight. Uh, numbers and leaps over defenders into the end zone. I mean, he's impressive to watch. He, he really is, and and they're two contrasting styles. I mean, you may look at them and, and say, well, they're very similar. They're really not. Uh, Lamar Thomas is is much more of a of a gifted runner than DeAndre. I mean, DeAndre can run, but but they specifically set up plays for Louisville uh, to utilize him. And I'm not talking about the just the, the read option or the or that type of thing. Uh, they, they've got quarterback draws. They've got quarterback sprint outs. I mean, they, they do some things to make sure that he is running on a called run, is running the football. What I was impressed with, because I didn't see much of the first game, I watched quite a bit of the, the Syracuse game, is his ability to throw the ball. I had forgotten that he is a darn good passer, just like Though we were told, until you see it, you don't believe it, DeAndre is a darn good passer. Both of these guys throw well. The the one difference I've seen, and, and, and DeAndre had his first pick in the game against Charleston Southern, but Thomas will, will take some chances. Not Thomas, Jackson. Jackson Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, he will take some chances. He is so confident in his arm that he'll make some mistakes. And if you can keep him in the pocket, and force him to throw the ball down the field, you'll have two or three or four opportunities to get some picks. We haven't seen DeAndre do that yet. That would be the one contrast, I would say, if you start comparing the two and and best way to defend them. You, You keep Louisville in the pocket, make him throw the ball down the field. Well, you know, another thing that would go the way of Lamar at this point is that he's play, he's more seasoned than DeAndre, certainly. And uh, he got better after playing FSU last year is when he put together a, an amazing run and all those terrific numbers to finish it up. Yeah, but I think you're right. And, and maybe that's where Florida State wins this football game. Uh, I have not watched a ton of Louisville overall. But defensively, I feel that FSU has an edge, and that's where they've got to win it is at the line of scrimmage. Keep them in the pocket. Force him to throw is going to be how Florida State is. I guarantee you that's how Florida State's going to attack this. Take away the run, and this is what you do with any team. Stop the run and make him pass. But particularly with a guy, if you think that he's not going to be as accurate if he's under duress, which who really is? The other thing that, that appears to be um, uh, a little bit of a Achilles heel for Louisville, you re- remember last year they got up, what, 21-3? to when, when they get up, going, they start out going well. They don't finish well. Uh, and I don't know how that will play into the ball game Saturday when Florida State travels up there. But that just tells me there's a, there's, there's a little bit of inconsistency, a little bit of, of, a, of a chink in their focus. Uh, we've seen that with Florida State starting so poorly against Ole Miss. But, but in the last two quarters, and I would tell you overall the game against Charleston Southern, you've got to say Florida State was relatively focused. There may be a little team chemistry difference between these two schools that uh, ends up being a deciding factor in the ball game up there as well. Yeah, well, two years ago up there, it was 21 nothing Louisville, and Florida State came back and win, won behind Jameis. That was the biggest comeback win in Florida State history until the Ole Miss game uh, last week. So, But that was a night game. That was a Thursday night game, if uh, memory serves. Yeah, it was a Thursday night game. And uh, reminiscent of another Thursday night game where I stood there in the rain with Chris Ricks. Which I, I referred to earlier. Yes, which, which you said we weren't going to talk about, and I brought it up. <laughs> I'm still soaking wet from standing in the rain on the sideline in that game. 
Uh, and I'm still pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> as are plenty. Bobby Petrino uh, as the head coach, uh, you know, is beloved there. When you look at his his, his record there, he, it's his second go-round, but his numbers are very good. Uh, and I don't even know that it's fair to call Louisville a sleeper because people have paid attention to what he's doing there. The uh, the, the other part about the Louisville program that uh, those that want to cast stones uh, suggest is that it's a little bit of a renegade program because uh, Petrino's past, his own personal past, as well as you know, they will have two or three or four kids on their squad that were either dismissed from other schools or didn't qualify or or flunked out academically. And and uh, teasingly, I heard that they're referred to as the North Alabama of the ACC. Uh, what uh, Terry and, and his group did when at North Alabama with you know castoffs. Uh, and uh, this year is no different. They've got a couple of kids that are playing a prominent role here early on at Louisville that uh, were at other programs prior. Not casting stones from the standpoint that uh, that's right or wrong. It's just that Petrino's had an ability, his staff has had an ability to take those type of kids and, and, and really do something positive with them. And that's also lent themselves to why we may not pay as much attention to them as we should, but it's a very, very good program. This particular team, a very, very good team. And well, and another thing they've done, uh, they figured it out earlier than others. Uh, they recruit Florida. I mean, their quarterbacks from Florida. Teddy Bridgewater was from Florida. I feel like Louisville and West Virginia were on that well before a lot of other schools were. And That's so a good there's, point. A, there's always a good mix of Floridians in there. Well, in general, we'll uh, we'll break this down in much greater detail on the front row this week, Wednesday night at six. But uh, what were, what were your uh, final thoughts for this weekend? Well, I just think it's important that Florida State, just like they get against Charleston Southern, came out fast. And then secondly, that they play a full 60-minute game. Uh, they had to play full 60 minutes against Ole Miss because it required. Uh, they were able to the luxury of, of taking off a quarter, quarter and a half against uh, the Buccaneers. This is going to be a full-time 60-minute ball game, and you're going to have to play it. want to send a special shout-out to uh, the fine folks at uh, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. If you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue uh, is the first one in 3269 Crawfordville Highway, or you can visit them online at www.ctf.nu. So thank you for their support. Keith, was fun? So fun. I think we should do it again next Sunday. Let's do it every, uh, let's do it every week for a little while. We'll do that through football season, and uh, as if that's not enough, as I mentioned, you can catch us on Wednesday as well. Florida State is 2-0. and They beat Ole Miss. They beat Charleston Southern, and uh, now they get ready for an early marquee showdown against the Louisville Cardinals on the road at Papa John's Stadium that'll come up high noon on Saturday from Louisville, Kentucky. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday night. So long, everybody.